you have a, a Blue Pew Bible, you can grab it on page 862. And we're going to read uh, from John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. And we'll read the first 26 verses. Uh, so let me read for them. Uh, let me read them to us, and, and then we'll think a bit together uh, through what's happening in this story. So John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is the word of God. A couple of years ago, um, my wife and I were living in uh, Philadelphia in America. Um, and if you've ever been there, you would know that the tap water that you get there compared to Sydney tap waters is pretty horrible. Um, and so pretty quickly, we needed to go find some way to filter the water. Um, and so we headed off to Target. And, and usually in these circumstances, you go uh, by the good old faithful Brita jug. You know those, those Brita water jug systems that we have in our kitchen that we've never replaced the filters for? You know, that's, that, that's what we kind of, kind of use. Um, but my wife is kind of susceptible to advertising on TV. And so as we were walking through Target, she goes, oh, zero water, I've heard of this, it's amazing, we should go buy it. 
I was like, oh, it's a bit pricey, but fine, once off, we'll give it a go. And, and we put it in, uh, we filtered the water, and it was amazing. It was like, it was like drinking like bottled water from like the source in the, the Alps or something. It was great. Um, and so we, we sort of happily drunk it. Um, but what, how the filter system works is it kind of like sucked in all the particles. Um, but the problem is, once it's sucked in all the particles and it gets full, it, it doesn't filter anymore. Uh, usually what happens with the Brita system is it just passes water through anyway and it kind of tastes just the same. This thing starts to leak back out all the stuff that it's collected. And so for the first part, it tastes a bit like a lemon that you put in water. So when I was drinking, I was like, oh, Em, do you put some lemon in to kind of spice it up? And she's like, no. I was like, oh. And so by the second or third day, I was like drinking like well water or something. It was horrible. Um, you know, think, oh, that's okay. You know, you just buy more filters. But these filters are four times the price of normal Brita filters. And so like, and the water's so bad, you have to change it every, every month. And so I was like, and so we were kind of at that stage committed. We knew how good it was, so we couldn't go back. And so we had to shell out money. Uh, but the reality is, sometimes we're willing to pay for some pretty nice water. Um, I was watching a, a video the other day um, by a water sommelier. Um, if you're familiar, a wine sommelier is a person that basically tells you what kind of wines to pair with your food. Uh, this water sommelier told you what water to pair with your food. And you're thinking, dude, there's only one type of water. Not, not the case. Uh, he was talking about sort of naturally carbonated water. $13 a bottle that tasted like Barocca when you drank it without the Barocca taste. Um, or you could get glacier water, which was kind of from the glacier um, that was supposedly cool and tasting. Uh, but the most expensive water um, from this water sommelier uh, was, it's not just a bottle, it was an experience. And this experience costs $100,000. Um, it was made by this company called Beverly Hills 90H2O. Get it? 90H2O? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you get a one liter bottle of water, right? But the, the cap on the, the bottle of water, it's diamond encrusted. So when you open it up, you don't throw it away because it's diamond encrusted. Um, you get, as part of this experience, you get unlimited refills for a year. And this water sommelier will fly to anywhere in the world to pour this water for you. Right? That's what, that's what you get for the experience. Um, some people are just that desperate to get some good tasting water. Um, but that's the reality. Sometimes we're willing to, to shell out good money uh, to have a good experience. Um, our story today is not exactly a $100,000 like luxury experience. It, it's about water from a well in the middle of a desert. Um, there's no diamonds, no super filtration systems. Um, but obviously, it's about water, right? But I think once we start to dig a bit further, we start to realize that this, this story is, it actually has nothing to do with water, per se. It's actually far more to do about what drives us to want water. It's a story about thirst. This story is a story about satisfying the thirsts that we all have. So often we seek in this world to be kind of satisfied. This, this world so often promises a lot, but delivers so little. And so this story is, is actually a story about contentment about finding lasting restfulness in our lives. A restfulness that means we don't worry about the future. A restfulness that means our greatest desires are going to be met. A restfulness uh, that means our fears uh, that we don't want to tell anyone about uh, are conquered and met. So my hope is, as you walk out the door, that you'll find the key to this lasting restfulness that we see in this story. Uh, before we look at this story, why don't I pray uh, that God might speak to us clearly, and then we'll have a look at this story. Oh, Lord Jesus, um, we pray that as we 
as we listen to you this morning, um, that, that as we hear uh, these words from this story, uh, that you would help us understand how we can find restful contentment in this world. Um, surprise us, um, speak to us afresh, um, and even if we've never thought of you in that way before, we pray that you would find us um, and help us see uh, the beauty that we find uh, in the water that we see here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your, uh, your bulletins, your Bibles, keep them open. Uh, we're going to be looking at this story uh, together. Uh, but a, a few words of orientation for our story. We, we read in the first few verses that Jesus is, is traveling and he's going between uh, Judea and, and Galilee. I mean, he's going through this region called Samaria. It's kind of like, in, in sort of Sydney terms, you're going between Sydney and Newcastle, and you have to sort of head through Gosford. It's not the place you kind of want to hang out in, well, maybe you do, uh, but that's kind of, it, it's situated between the two areas. And so Jesus is, is traveling, um, he's kind of on the outskirts of a town called, we, we see Sychar, and he ends up by a well on the outskirts of the town. Uh, it's hot, it's midday, and he's tired from his journey, and, and he wants to satisfy his thirst. And so he meets this woman, doesn't he? Uh, this woman that's come to the well to draw water. And as they meet, uh, Jesus kind of strikes up a conversation with her. And he makes up a, a simple request. Can I, can I have some water? Um, why don't you follow on the conversation with me? So verse 7, uh, Jesus essentially says, will you give me a drink? This woman kind of says, how can you ask me for a drink? Uh, you're a, a Jew, it's kind of one of those awkward moments. Um, say you're on a bus or train and someone starts talking to you, and you're like, why are you talking to me? Um, and you're so shocked you started, they started talking to you, you sort of make an offhand comment that may be slightly offensive. Uh, this is kind of possibly what's happening right here. Uh, but this awkward situation goes to a weird situation as Jesus kind of responds to this woman. And Jesus essentially says, hey, you're the one that should be asking me for a drink if you knew who I was. Look there at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, Jesus seems to stop talking about his original request of, of well water and he's now changed this topic and he says, hey, let's talk about this thing, this thing called living water. In many ways, he, he seems like a bit of a salesperson. Hey, you don't want this. You really want this. Um, it reminds me, recently I, I went... Shoot, uh, suit shopping. Um, I was trying to buy a suit. Um, I was conducting a marriage and I was going to wear this black suit that I, I had worn to my own wedding. Um, but that was 10 years ago and the sh fashions, I think, really have changed since then. Uh, my black suit looked like a bit of a garbage bag that I was wearing. So I said, okay, I can't do that to the couple I'm marrying. I've got to get a nice, you know, nice trendy suit. So I went suit shopping. Um, I was telling my brother, hey, I need to, need to get something that's formal but fashionable. Uh, what, do you, what do you recommend? And he goes, oh, Jono, uh, you need to get a, a navy suit. Okay, okay, navy suit. So, I don't know. I, I don't know fashion, okay, so a navy suit. So, we go to the shop. Uh, we're walking around. My brother's like, oh, yeah, this is nice. It looks nice. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I was telling the, the, the salesperson. I was like, hey, I, I'm after a suit. I want to be formal but fashionable, trendy. Um, I, I'm looking for a navy suit. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, and he goes, after a while, he goes, oh, you could, you could choose those navy suits. But what you really want is you want a new navy suit. And we're not talking about second hand. He, he's made up this color, well, I thought he made up a color, called new navy. I'm like, what's new navy? And he goes, oh, it looks really well with beige pants and like, you know, this jacket. And I was like, oh, okay. At this point, I, I was pretty sure I was going to get ripped off. So I said to my brother, let's go. And as we were walking away, I said, 
I'm not too sure about trans, so I thought, possibly there's a, a colour called New Navy. Hey, Matt, have you heard of New Navy? He's like, nah, he was just making stuff up. I, was like, I knew it. This guy was trying to, trying to rip me off. Uh, but in many ways, that's how salespeople kind of act. They, they kind of say, hey, do you want this? Because it's really good, and, and luckily enough, I, I have the last one in store just for you. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Do you want living water? Because it's better than well water, and, and I can give it to you. Well, what is this living water business, though? Well, look down with me in the Bible, verse 13. Jesus kind of describes this, this water. Uh, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Uh, we start to see that this, this special living water is something that truly satisfies. It's so satisfying that people will never thirst again. As Jesus comes to this woman and says, you know what, you need living water, he's tapping into and identifying something in this woman. So just like this salesperson was probably trying to take me for a ride, but he was responding to my desire to to be fashionable and trendy. Jesus is responding to to this woman's desire, a thirsting that says, you know, I really long for something greater. I really am seeking for, for something to truly satisfy. But what does, she, what does she long for, though? Well, what do we know about her? Well, we know she's a woman. Uh, she's come to a well. That's, that's kind of all we know about her. So how can we possibly understand what she longs for? Well, I think we know a lot more than that, though. Uh, she, she's a woman that's come to a well, but she's come by herself. She has no friends. She has no help to, to come and draw the water. But not only that, we read earlier on in the passage that this woman has come in the middle of the day, midday, right? And if you've ever been in summer, midday, it's kind of like the hottest part of the day. In Jesus' time, it would have been extremely odd for a woman to do this. Women would often go and draw water together as as a group. Uh, They would also draw it at the coolest times of the day, be that in the morning or in the evening. The fact that this woman has, has turned up alone that she's turned up at the hottest part of the day, speaks actually volumes about her standing within her own community. Uh, This woman doesn't just have no friends, she she lives a life that's isolated. Uh, She's likely ashamed from her past and has either distanced herself or has been distanced by others. No one wants to be around her. And if you've ever been an outsider at high school or or university, want to be in the in crowd, it's obvious what this woman longs for. It's obvious kind of what this, what would place her soul at, at rest. She no longer wants to be looking in, does she? She wants to be accepted, included, welcomed by others. Not just a token, come over to my place once and never talk to you again kind of invitation. She wants a, a long-lasting acceptance. I uh, See, the cry of, of the outsider is for this deep-seated acceptance, isn't it? It's to be part of a community where if you weren't there anymore, people would come looking for you. That if you had to leave the community, people would would actually shed a tear, that they would care. As an outsider looking in, this woman longs for more. She thirsts for an opportunity to, to be part of something. And Jesus is saying, if you take this living water, you'll find that. Well, what exactly is, is this water that Jesus is offering, though? What exactly could, could satisfy such, such a thirst, uh, such a, a longing? Well, I think the key to understanding what Jesus offers this woman is to first understand who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. I think a person's identity is always linked to what 
they can give others. Uh, let me explain quickly. Um, if you happen to be in San Francisco, uh, you hang out at a cafe, and you met a guy called Tim Cook, who just happens to be the CEO of Apple Computers, and, and you chatted up, you had a coffee with him, um, kind of got along, and he said, John, you know what? Um, I like you. I like you. you. You seem like a nice guy. I, I'm going to give you an Apple. At that point, I'm like, yes, right? I'm going to get like a, a, a MacBook, an iPhone, some piece of Apple computer equipment, right? It's going to be awesome. However, if you're on a country road in New South Wales, avoiding the floods, and you met a guy called Tim Cook at a cafe, um, and he said he was a farmer, and he said, I'm going to give you an apple. You're like, woohoo, 50 cents of fruits. Um, really, the, I, who that person is directly links to what they can give you, right? The reason this woman is so confused is she doesn't understand who Jesus is. See, in her mind, Jesus is at best just some random, weary Jewish traveler looking for water. But at worst, he's a, he's a fraudster, a con artist. Like the guy trying to sell me that, that na- new Navy suit. He's just trying to scam her. Because Jesus doesn't seem impressive. He's definitely not, enough, not impressive enough to provide this magical living water. And so look there in verses 11 and 12, you can see that she's really confused. So you have nothing to draw with, this wo- with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank for it himself? See, Jacob was the ancestor to the Samaritans. And so this well that we're talking about wasn't just an ordinary well, it was one of, of great pride. It linked the present-day people with their forefathers. So the, woman, the words of this woman are, are really a question of identity. If Jesus could provide this, this living water, he'd have to be far greater than Jacob. But Jesus, well, he's just a random traveler, right? He doesn't even have any water-drawing equipment. How could he possibly be more impressive than Jacob? The question is one of identity. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Well, the answer to the question is we, we find out as we sort of follow in on their conversation. Look with me there in verse 15 as, we, as they kind of talk further. And the woman says, oh, okay, um, give me this water so I don't have to draw the water anymore. Well, Jesus, what does he say then? Well, okay, uh, go call your husband and then, and then come back to me. And he says, I have no husband. What does Jesus say? And the fact is, you've had five husbands and the, the man you're with now is, is not your husband. What's happening in this, in this interaction between, between Jesus and the woman? I think there are at least two things happening. The first is Jesus is revealing himself. He's revealing his identity to this woman. He demonstrates he's far more than just a random Jewish traveler. See, in their conversation, he's leading questions that kind of expose this woman's past. His ability to, to speak uncomfortably accurately about what she's done before. All this kind of prophetic insight reveal he's more than an ordinary man. There's something special about Jesus. He's not just a trickster. There's something special about him. And so as her past is exposed, this woman, it seems like, tries to distract Jesus. Starts to bring up an age-old discussion about places of worship. It's not really necessary that we understand the background to this question. But what's more important is how the conversation ends. Do you notice how it ends? This woman starts to see a glimmer of who Jesus is, but still unable to to fully appreciate who Jesus is. What does Jesus do? He declares himself to be the awaited Messiah. Messiah meaning Savior, the person sent by God to rescue God's people. 
from foreign nations that enslaved them. Jesus is someone special. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, come to rescue people. But he doesn't just reveal his identity. No, he does something more. He reveals this woman's need. Jesus' questions uh, start to reveal this woman's need for what Jesus was offering. This woman really was skeptical. What can you actually provide? But as Jesus asked her these questions, her past is brought forward to her mind. She's confronted with, with what she truly desires. She's confronted with the past and what can make things right again. Through this conversation, we start to see that, that Jesus is no ordinary Jew. He's no random traveler. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of His people, and He's offering living water. See, if you understand and see that Jesus is, is more than just a random kind of person, we understand the gift that He's offering to this woman. This is how, in the Old Testament, so the beginning part of the Bible, uh, God sort of explains what it means to know Him. He says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters that your soul may live. It's this idea when you, when you know God, when you're in relationship with God, all that you long for, all that you thirst, all that you seek to be satisfied is at rest. Another man, his name was Solomon, a king in Israel, uh, said this. He said, God has set eternity in the human heart. See, Solomon correctly recognized that, that all of us are created in God's image. And therefore, our hearts don't become at rest until we know this God. Jesus' offer of living water is to satisfy. It's to satisfy this woman, to, to bring her into a relationship with God, to find that, that longing, that thirsting, uh, to be accepted, to be welcomed, to be at rest again. See, her restlessness is made complete in God. God, the one who saw her greatest failures, who sees all the shame in her past that she's tried to cover up and hide, who sees the past, the present, and the future, says, even though I see it all, I've come to you, and I've welcomed you, warmly with oath and arms. For this woman to experience living water was to experience a relationship with God, a relationship that's marked by unconditional acceptance and approval, a relationship of, of a warm embrace instead of a cold shoulder. Living water was to truly make her content. I think like, like this woman, all of us here, seek some kind of restful contentment. We spend our lives in the pursuit of things that will satisfy. For some of us here, we're, we're always seeking and searching to make sure that our future is secure. Maybe for others of us, we're trying to make feel like we, we matter in this world. We're, we're significant. We, we make a difference. And for some of us, it's, it's wanting to, to have the approval or respect of our friends or our parents or our co-workers. We spend our lives satisfying those things or attempting to satisfy all that we do is in service of of trying to be at rest we pursue money pursue relationships pursue, pursue success or grades at work all in the hope that if we have these things then life will be good just get a good enough marks to get a good enough job i'll have the respect of my parents i'll earn enough to keep my family safe if i if i just have that relationship then then i'll know i'm i matter I'm worthwhile. What do you pursue in the hope of finding restful contentment? See, the reality is these pursuits never truly satisfy because we're built to be filled, fulfilled by something greater. Uh, we're built to be fulfilled by a relationship with Jesus. 
See, so often, though we're built this way, the default nature of our hearts is really to say that, God, I doubt you're real. And even if you are real, there is something that is far more satisfying than is apart from you. You're not worthwhile. I don't believe it. See, in ancient times, uh, there, are two, there are a number of ways to get water. There were two very common ways, apart from the well. Uh, the one way was to find a natural spring. A natural spring, a multiple of advantages. First of all, you don't have to build it. It's just natural, right? Uh, but in a natural spring, water comes out, and it comes from the kind of subterranean basement and, and comes out. So the water is kind of naturally cool. So it's, it's cool. Um, but not only is it, is it cool to the taste, uh, the water is filtered. Uh, because it, as it comes up through all the sediments, all the, the junk gets filtered naturally. And so you have this really cool, uh, really naturally filtered water. Another way to, to gather water uh, in ancient times was to build a cistern. A cistern was essentially a hole in the ground, kind of like a well, uh, but this hole was built at the bottom of a hill, and you would collect essentially rainwater that comes down the hill into this hole. You would line the, the hole with limestone to essentially make sure the water doesn't seep through. There are a number of problems with cisterns, though. Uh, water could e- uh, um, quickly become stagnant. Um, animals or things could fall in and, and contaminate your water, And it just wasn't cool. It was kind of tepid and and warm and and not very nice. God says this uh, to the people uh, back in those times. He says, They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He accuses people of, of instead of going for the cool, thirst-quenching, filtered water, uh, they've gone for the second best. They've gone for for what is crappy and leaky and, and tepid water. They've pursued things in this world to satisfy them in only a way that God could. And so often that's what we do. Instead of finding safety and satisfaction and approval in God, uh, we sort it out in other things. If I have more money, then, then surely I can be safe in this world. If I have a good job, then surely I'll know that I'll be successful, I'll matter. We say that our parents' thoughts become the defining factor of whether I'm worthwhile and approved of in this world. We seek after these things in the hope that they will bring us to rest. And I wonder if you've experienced this. You've you've tried to to, to become content by pursuing other things in this world only to find them not satisfying. As we've turned away from God, as we've turned our back on Him, we've ultimately rejected a call to be satisfied in Him. This rejection is ultimately a desire to, to live life on our own terms. It's this rejection of God, this, this pride in our hearts that, that says, God, I don't need you. I can find something better. The Bible calls sin. It's this attitude that says, I can figure out on my own. But when you reject someone, now you make it personal. And so as we turn away from God and pursue these other things, the Bible tells us that we are sinning against Him. We're rejecting Him. And the result of us turning away from God is that we go further and further away from Him. We put ourselves on this trajectory, this destiny, that's not only away from God, but that leads to torment and pain and suffering, what, what we often refer to as, as hell. But the good news is that God has not left us in this position. At the beginning of this story, we meet Jesus. Jesus asked and makes a simple request of this woman for some water. But if you actually understood what he did at this time, you'd realize what a radical thinker it was. See, Jews and Samaritans don't, don't talk to each other, right? That's what, that's what this woman tells us. 
It was a, a massive social taboo for, for, for Jesus to even start talking to this woman. But not only to, to start talking to this woman, but to even ask for a drink of water. For she would have, in their eyes, contaminated the water by, by touching the water and, and giving it to Jesus. Jesus would have been unfit for Jewish community. No one would have wanted anything to do with him, given the fact that he associated with her. And such is the love of Jesus for this woman that he, he disregards social norms, a religious custom, so as to reach out and offer true and lasting satisfaction. And in a similar way, Jesus, as the Son of God, breaks into this world. He comes to offer living water to those that, that say that I don't want anything to do with Jesus. He brings life by dealing with what distances us from God, our prideful attitude of sinful rejection of Him. Jesus dies, we're told, on the cross in the place of, of those people that would say, God, I want nothing to do with you. And as He is raised to life after He dies, He offer, offers all of those who believe in Him living water to be satisfied, life forevermore with the God who gives us all that we need. See, the offer that we see here in this passage this morning is that anyone here who's tired and longing for, for something more, who's longing to be satisfied, can be satisfied in Jesus. See, we so often recoil against Christianity. We, we say that there are too many rules. It seems so oppressive and restrictive. Well, when, when people say this, I don't think they realize that the result of, of restful contentment is this joyful obedience to how God calls us to live. Once you experience the, the assurance and acceptance that you find in a relationship with God, you joyfully seek to love others in a radical and unconditional way. So full of confidence that there is another world to come, you live passionately, not for yourself, but for others. Not as a burden, but as a joy. See, friends, if, if you've truly tasted this, this water that Jesus offers, your response to God is, is not one of miserable servitude, but joyful obedience. I think this is what happens when, when this woman realizes who Jesus is. She, she goes and tells everyone about him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, I so desperately want you to enjoy rest for your souls this morning. You may, may have walked in here uh, wondering about who Jesus is, never really thinking about much of his impact upon your life. Uh, my hope this morning is at least that you would consider that maybe he can do what nothing else can. And that's to satisfy you truly. And if that's you, um, I'd love to, the church and, and I would love to chat with you more about Jesus and what he can do. On the back of the bulletins, there's a, there's a place where you can leave your name, but also uh, note down that you're interested in finding more out about Jesus. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you as the bags uh, come around later, uh, just tick that box, write your name, contact details, drop it in. Uh, we'll follow up and we'll chat more. Friends, I would so want you uh, to experience the rest that Jesus provides. Let me pray quickly that we would find this. And Father God, we thank you that the living water that Jesus offers is life eternal, a relationship with you. Uh, we thank you that in Jesus, uh, the greatest longings of our heart are met. We pray for those who are here this morning that are believers. We pray that they would find that, that satisfaction in you, um, that they would turn away from seeking that in this world and find true and lasting 
contentment in you. For those here this morning um, that are thinking more and more about you, uh, we pray that you would help them find opportunities to talk more about what it means to experience this great joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.